children uh, because we definitely uh, are facing challenging days when it comes to kids. Um, we live in the midst of a corrupt culture. Let me try that again. We live in the midst of a corrupt culture. If y'all can't say amen on that, it's going to be a long road ahead for the rest of this message. Uh, our culture calls that which God declared wrong, they say it's right. And they declare what God says is right, they say it's wrong. It's a backwards world. And we are called to raise kids in the midst of this twisted culture. It's a heavy assignment. Um, you know, the, I, our children are facing temptations that those in my age group never dreamed about facing. Yeah, it's going to be a long message, I can tell right now. But I believe that God raises up people in the midst of a corrupt culture to be culture changers. Amen. Welcome to Prophetic Whispers. This is Elias Flores, and I'm coming to you today on our second discussion regarding fatherhood and raising children. What is the father's role in, in raising children and training children? And um, and it's going to be an exciting time. So, you know, lock in, get a little cup of coffee, or if you listen to this at, later at, on in the evening, um, you know, just kick back. Going to give you plenty of scripture, going to give you plenty of concepts to, to look at and uh, kind of raising your awareness on some of the things that are going on within our culture. Pastor uh, John K. Jenkins Sr., he, he leads us into this, um, this, this discussion of godly children and in the crazy culture that we're in. When you look at the book of Acts, and, and, I, and I'm constantly uh, using this more and more as an illustration, especially when it comes to when it comes to the charismatic people, those of us that go to churches, those of us that raise our hands and pray in the Spirit, and, and, and we expect the gifts of the Spirit, and we expect this great move of God to to really, really um, be the with all. And again, it is. It is. It is, but never forget, never forget this very particular thing about the Holy Spirit, about the move of the Spirit. The, the Spirit of God can be quenched and the Spirit of God can be grieved. Grieved because you don't believe and quenched because you have behaviors that are ungodly, okay? And we must be constantly aware of that. And, and Peter in Acts chapter 2, verse 40, after he preaches this eloquent message describing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he, he, he writes in the book of Acts, or the book of Acts writes that in many ways and in many examples, Peter explained that they must escape and get rid of, get out of this crazy, perverse culture. Now, what is, or corrupt culture? The word, the word perverse there is the word Twisted, but the word corrupt, okay, when you start looking at the corrupt, it means to be marked immoral or perversions, depraved, very dishonest, 
okay, containing errors or alterations, especially ones that prevent proper understanding or use. So when you start looking at purpose in purpose and goals and vision for your family. You have to escape the corruption of this world. Listen, we are called, we are in a very peculiar time because how the education system has been corrupt. They're not teaching your children how to add and subtract and they're not teaching your children how to read and write. They're teaching them what to believe. They're indoctrinating. They are giving them LGBTQ um, philosophy. Uh, critical race theory. Okay, uh, everything in our in our in our country is systemically racist, and there's a, you're a victim of everything. You must, if you're white, you've got to apologize for your skin color because you know you can never be forgiven for being white. I mean, this is absolutely absurd. But this is what's going on in our school systems. You can't trust the school systems. They're teaching sex education. They're indoctrinating your kids. But this didn't happen overnight. Jesus writes and Jesus writes and says, "While good men slept, the enemy came up and he sowed. While the farmers slept, the good the 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 enemy came in and he sowed tares among the wheat." See, the church had been asleep for years. The fathers have been asleep and absent for years. We've been absent from what does my child know? What are they learning at school? What are they indoctrinating them with? You know, I remember growing up in the uh, raising my children. You know, um, I remember raising my children in the in the late '80s and early '90s, and as they began to get into sports, I'll never forget when they started bringing in this attitude of uh, you know we don't want our kids to feel bad, so let's give them all rewards. Okay, I remember growing up in the uh, '60s as a child, and then in the '70s, going playing little league, and and I remember if you lost, you lost. That was it. You know, you didn't get participation trophies. The first place team got a trophy, and the second place team got a trophy. Everybody else, better luck next time. You didn't have the skill level. You don't get a feel good button. You went home, and you know what? You you were hoping that uh, next year you'll be on a better team, and next year you'll work harder. And there were no participation trophies. What were they trying to do? They were trying to bring socialism. Uh, ideology they were trying to bring in already in the 90s they were starting already to infiltrate us with Marxist ideology to make all results equal so getting a trophy doesn't mean anything working hard doesn't mean anything because they want to control the results and the outcome this has been a very subtle move by them but it's not a surprise it's not a surprise how they start with the children. Oh, we don't want the children to feel bad. We don't want we you know we don't we don't want the children to to you know just to feel as if they're they're less than. So let's make them all feel equal. No. While we slept, all this stuff slipped in. But this is this has been a this has been a plan. This has been a this has been a what I would call the modus operandi of Satan, which was to destroy the Judeo-Christian value family structure, the nuclear family, the father, to remove the father out of the family, to remove the influence of a godly voice that carried God's word in his heart, that that would pass the laws of God, the thou shalt nots, into the hearts of their children. And again, there's many, there's many uh, that have were, or I should say it this way, there are many that were raised in very, what we would call strict 
biblical um, values. They, they were called, it was religious. It was religious. And they're very angry. And in their anger, they began to open up their lives for excess. And now they, they just open the floodgates. And don't forget, whatever we parents do in moderation, our children will do in excess. And so because our parents were so restricted, we couldn't go to the movies, we couldn't go to dances, we couldn't. Now our children are, are owners of nightclubs and bars and, and we frequent them too because we are free and we are, and look at our society. Are we better because we, we walked away from biblical education and biblical worldviews of what God said would destroy the family? This is a plan. This is a plan by the enemy. In 1907, there's a uh, lady by the name of Alice Bailey. She started, she started the New Age movement. Some of you may know this. Some of you that have heard me before on this, I'm going to just reiterate some of the things. The target was the children. The target was the family. The target was to destroy. It sounds like Marxism. Okay, this sounds like the destruction to get everybody dependent upon the government. Opposed to being responsible and dependent on God. The breaking down of a family is extremely, extremely um, fragile. Because now, this generation that we're living in now, most people are broken. Most people come from broken homes, broken lives. They don't know what, they don't know what, um, they don't know what uh, faithfulness is. They don't know what commitment is. They don't know, they don't know the stability they don't know that, but they know it when they see it. They know it because they, their heart desires it. And so teaching and training your children is very important. Because if you don't do that as a father, the world's going to do this. Listen to, listen, this is 1907, okay? 1907. And now don't forget, I always compare this because this goes perfectly with Acts chapter 2 verse 40. That you can have a move of the Spirit. You can have revivals. You can, you can worship God and cry till your eyes come out. And, and the glory of God descend upon you. But if you don't do something about the culture. If you don't get away from worldly thinking. Worldly belief systems. Then you're, you're no better. That's what, Paul, that's what Peter was saying. Acts chapter 2 verse 40. Read it. 3,000 people got saved. Everybody says, hallelujah, amen. But they don't get into the warnings of Paul, of Peter. He cut them to their heart. How did he cut them to the heart? He explained to them how they crucified Christ. He explained to them an event that just took place. But he also explained to them that this culture is perverse. Get out of the culture. What is culture? How do we do things here? The move of the Spirit brings you back under a theonomous thinking, theonomous living. What does that mean? God rule. What is the culture? Autonomous. I rule. Man rules. Your flesh rules. Your ideas rule. I feel like a woman, therefore I'm a woman. Your, your, your feelings rule your day. Oh, girls, I, I, feel like a, I feel like a man. So guess what? I'm going to dress like a man today. I'm a man. Call me by this name. Call me by Sam. And I, my name is Samantha. Call me, call me John. This is ridiculous. I know it's ridiculous. But this is what the culture has pushed out. How do I identify? How do I, what's my orientation? 
Starts at a very young age. You look at these kids. Look at these parents that have, have um, started this transgender um, movement. Taking their boys and making them girls. Making them. So they can, they can feel whatever. It's in the culture today. It's all over. It's all over TV. You can, you can look at some of the cable TV shows. How about the drag queens that are, that are reading uh, 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 story times to kids in, in elementary schools? In Dallas, Texas, Los Angeles, New York, Illinois. You say, oh, that's ridiculous. No, it's a plan. Teach and train your children. Don't let them. Sit down and explain to them. This is a corrupt culture. Broken. It's immoral. It's a misuse of humanity. It's debased. And the church has affirmed it because we don't want them to we don't want them to feel bad about their beliefs. So we'll keep quiet and we affirm them because God is love. So we, we have to we have to we have to wake up with our children. They're the, product, the, the children are a product of who we are and where we are going, why 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 we make sense. So in 1907. Alice Bailey hit the west, hit the east coast of New York, and in the midst of a revival, 1906, the Azusa Street Revival, where the world's focus was here in Los Angeles, about seven miles away from my house here, the power of God fell, and every denomination was affected by this move of the Spirit. Uh, William Seymour, he he just prayed, and the power of God would come, healings and miracles, and and. You know, it's just an amazing move of God. We are here today in the power of the Spirit, in the charismatic movement, the flow of the Spirit, because of William Seymour and the 1906 revival. Oral Roberts and all these great men of God that came after that. Um, uh, Smith Wigglesworth. You, you could go down the list of, of great men of God that, that, that were affected and were a result of the 1906 revival. America was changed because of the 1906 revival. So what does Satan do? He sends in, nine, in 1907, he sends Alice Bailey. And she has a doctrine called serving or book that she writes called Serving Humanity. And in that, in that book of Serving Humanity, she gives eight steps, really 10 steps, but I don't want to touch them all, but eight steps on how to change a nation. Eight steps. It's going to take time. And she writes in there, it's going to take 80 years, 80 years, 50 to 80 years in order for there to begin to see change in the nation. Now let's see what she says. She says, number one, let's take God and prayer out of educational systems. Change the curriculum to ensure that the children are free from the bondage of Christian culture. What is our Christian culture? That's number one. Hmm, look, sound familiar today? Number two, reduce parental authority over children. Break the communication between parent and child so that the parents do not pass on their Christian traditions to their children. In other words, we see this today. I, I, I kid you not. In my own family, in my own family, we have, we have different ideas from, my, from one set of family to the other. Free that are free from God in their knowledge, free from God. I mean, this is this is incredible. I had a discussion with one of my with one of my um, cousins. 
and her father, um, her father was uh, my uncle, <laughs> and and when he passed away, I was, you know, when he passed away, a pastor, very very strong man in the faith, very very biblical. Uh, he gave me a few books that I cherish today. I can see where his mind was at, and um, I was talking to his granddaughter, my cousin's daughter, which is which was an atheist in, in her thinking that um, was completely woke on the far left. And she says this, my grandpa, because she loved her grandpa, my grandpa would not make me, I said, whoa, 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 you don't understand your grandpa. Your grandfather would not put up with what you're thinking and what you're saying. She wanted to embrace the, the LGBTQ, and if you didn't, you were homophobic. Yeah, your, your, your dad, your grandfather would have thrown them out of the house. Yeah, your grandfather would not have put up with that. Your grandfather would have loved you into righteousness. Loved you into right thinking. Your grandfather would not put up with what you are displaying. See, this is generation. I mean, listen, it's not far off. It's in our children. This is what's being taught break the communication between the parents. They don't want parents telling their children to love God with all their hearts, to forsake this perversions. Number three, listen to this one. Destroy the Judeo-Christian family structure. It is oppressive. That's why, because it's oppressive. A woman shouldn't have to raise children and a woman shouldn't have to give birth. Why don't men do that? How ridiculous is this? You know, uh, the Biden administration, it was hilarious. The, don't call women women anymore. <laughs> call them birther persons. Are you kidding me? We're going to listen to this idiotic stuff? But this is indoctrination. This is changing the language. This is moving the goalposts again. We see this constantly. Okay? I know I'm 18 minutes into this thing. I'm just barely getting worked up. Haven't even got to my text. But this is what this is what's going on in our culture. He says, if you break the family, you break the nation. Liberate the people from the confines of the structures. <laughs> so any structure, relationship structure, our Christian values, the family structure, the idea of husband and wife, destroy all that. Destroy the father as the leader of the home. Father doesn't know best. Break it. Promote sexual promiscuity. Free young people to, to the concept of premarital sex. Let them have sex, free sex. Lift it so high that, that the joy of enjoying life is sex. Fantasize about that. Teach them to fantasize about that. That everything we feel proud to be seen to be sexually active, even those outside of marriage. Again, so they, they want this perversion exposed. This is what's going on with our children. This is what, this is what uh, Brother Jenkins was talking about. That our kids are exposed to this. Now, this, this was just the plan. But now we see the execution. Promote sexual promiscuity. Promote it. Put it on TV. Put it on media. You, can, you got your phones. You, got, you can get pornography at your fingertips. How many of the church folks struggle with pornography? Men and women. Perverse. Why? Because it's been promoted. We are in the full, we are in the full forefront of their plan. Promote, promote sexual promiscuity. They're gonna promote it. Watch this, number five. Make divorce easy and legal. I went over four because it's the same, it's the same. Um, promote, promote divorce, make it easy, legal. Uh, free people from the concept of marriage for life. Wow. 
Again, I can tell you for a fact, in the 1960s and 70s, most people were married. I don't remember divorce being even around the neighborhood. The neighborhood. Okay, that, that was, everybody knew the mother and the father. I think one family, I didn't know the mother and the father. I only knew the mother, one of my great friends. Okay, number six, make homosexuality an alternative lifestyle. Make it a lifestyle. Make, listen, um, I'll get back on the homosexual thing, uh, teachings later, okay, uh, probably next week. Okay. Number seven, debase art, make it run mad. In other words, take the take take all our entertainers, make them crazy, make art, you know, the art field, the field of arts and communications. Make that make that run crazy. You know, like I said, where you can't even tell what a man is and a woman is anymore. Guys are guys are wearing makeup and and and, and blush and eyeshadow and they're doing all the girly things and, and to where they don't even look like a man anymore. You have to kind of squint to see what they are. Make art run mad. Make it debase. Pervert it so bad you can't even tell it's art. Use the media to, number eight, use the media to promote mind change. They knew, they knew that the media was going to be a major agent to change the minds of people. Okay? You see it on TV. You see it on radio. You hear it on radio. I mean, just with this, just with this vaccine thing. Okay? Why would you need a vaccine if you, if it's 99. 97% recovery rate. Why do you need a vaccine for that? I know if you if you have comorbidities and all that, but guess what? You have movie stars, you have you have football players, you have basketball, the NBA, get vaccinated, get vaccinated. Did you hear yesterday that Chris Paul being vaccinated? Oh, he he tested positive. It's just a bunch of fear from China again. Same old stuff. Propaganda, promote it. So the people stay in fear. Oh, I gotta wear my mask, two masks, three masks crazy stuff, but it's programming. It's programming minds. People are sheep. We must be lions. We must be lions in this culture. Enough with following what they want to say, what they want us to say, and what they want us to do. Number nine, create an interfaith movement. In other words, Jesus is the same as Muhammad, Muhammad and Buddha. There's many ways to Jesus. You heard that before, right? There's many ways to heaven. There's many ways to heaven. That's the unit of faith. Make one faith, make all faiths equal. Muhammad, we've got to respect all the religions. No, we don't. We respect people in how they believe, but not religions. We don't respect Islam. We don't respect them as compared to our God. Now, there are few, now we respect the, the people's right to believe. Absolutely. You can believe whatever you need to believe. But we believe in God, Yahweh. Number 10, get the government to make all the laws and get the church to endorse them. And there's where we're at. Get the church to endorse these laws and changes. The church must change its doctrines and accommodate the people by accepting these things and put them into structures and systems. How do you think, how do you think the LGBTQ and the, and, and the perversions have gotten into the church? Because they make laws out of these things. They make laws and the church endorses it. That's why I'm teaching on, on can you be gay and be saved. That's why I'm teaching these things. Because there's law and people just accept it as, as biblical theological truths passed on from generations. Some of, some of the, uh, the churches think that, that they're so woke that, oh, they're discovering new things. They call it dynamic hermeneutics. 
dynamic hermeneutics means hermeneutics or rules of God that change or how to interpret the Bible in a new way. See it differently. Have a different conversation about the Bible. No, we're going to have the same conversation. The same one that Jesus had, the same one that Peter had, the same one that Paul had. We're going to have those same conversations. It's not that they're discovering something new. It's that they forgot something old. So today I'm going to, with that mindset, understand the assault on our children. Understand that being a father now is very, very important. That the Word of God weighs heavy and should weigh heavy on your heart. Am I teaching my children? Deuteronomy chapter 6, 1 and 2. I love this. Okay, I love this. It says this. Now this is the commandment and these are the statutes that the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to, to teach you. That you may observe them in the land in which you, you cross over and possess. That you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you. You and your sons and your grandsons all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. So in other words, your life should be perpetuated. Your purposes should be perpetuated through your children. So God says, you teach your children the laws of God. You teach your children these things. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, that when he grows old, he will not depart. Now, I don't want, I'm, I'm going to break that down for you. And let's see how far we get into this podcast, because I'm already 25 minutes in, and I just barely hit my first text in reading it, but not expounding on it. Okay. So Proverbs 22, 6, remember, remember that one, train up a child in the way he should go. I know there are many people that believe that, well, if I took them to church, they're trained. No, they're not trained. That's like, that's, that, that's as crazy as, as, as how they do things at, um, in the workplace. They show you a video and they think you know it just because you saw the video and you sign your name off. And you still can't do it because you haven't proven it. You haven't gone out there and, and put it into muscle memory. You just saw a video. Oh, you're trained. You're trained in safety methods. You're trained in this. So we take our kids to church and we expect to do the uh, we expect the church to do the job that the family should do, the father should be doing. Judges chapter 2, 7 through 10. Listen to this. This is important. Okay? So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Now again, this is after Moses, this is into Joshua, all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works which the Lord had done for Israel. Now Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died. And when he was 110 years old, and they buried him with, on the border of his inheritance in Timnath, Here's, here in the, in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of the Mount Gosh, I love how they just, they just narrowed down exactly where he, he was buried, when all the generations had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which the Lord had done. So... So your faith, if you don't pass on the biblical teachings, the laws of God to your generation, Deuteronomy 6, 1 and 2 is very specific. Teach your children. Teach your children. Here you have in Judges, where Joshua passes on, all the elders pass on, and the next generation, nobody passed on, nobody echoed the truths of God, the history the things that they've been through. Nobody passed that on to the next generation. See, Christianity is only one generation away from extinction all the time. 
This is our great fight. This is our great apologetic stance that we must train our children in the way that we should go. I find something very interesting because especially the difficult culture that we're living in where the feminization of our male, where men are being feminized or if you're masculine or if you're, or if you're, if you're aggressive in your personality, oh, you're toxic. Tone it down. No, we need to raise it up again. Listen to this, Jeremiah 51.30. This is one of the plans. Don't forget. Don't forget what Alice Bailey said. Hey, we need to feminize everybody. We need to make, we need to feminize men. Because feminized men don't defend anything. If we can feminize the men, then guess what? They can't defend. You look at the, you look at, you look at the woke left. You see the LGBTQ um, gay pride parades? You think they can defend anything? No, they can't defend anything. They couldn't fight their way out of a paper bag. We need to, re we need to reinvigorate our young men to learn how to defend. Defend their family, defend their faith, to defend their belief systems. To believe the Judeo-Christian values. The mighty men of the... Listen... Jeremiah 51.30, the mighty men of Babylon have ceased fighting. They remained in their stronghold. They stayed home. They didn't go to battle. Watch this. Their might has failed them. They became like women. See, there's a difference between men and women. This is what some of the, we men have to start teaching our children. We roar. Men should be leaders. We should be teaching our children. There's a difference between men and women. Here, even the Babylonians. As Jeremiah's writing, he says, their warriors became, they stayed in their houses. They became like women. They have burned, they burned her dwelling places. The bars of her gates are broken. One runner will run to meet another and another message to another to show that the king of Babylon, that his city is taken on all sides. See, you want to lose your family? Don't train your children. We have this feminizing of, of our men going on in our nation right now. You see it on, you could see it on, on you can't even get a pharmaceutical commercial without the feminization of men. You can't, you can't even see a movie without the feminizing of men. You can't get any of those things anymore because of how they want you to just run and hide and stay in your house. This is, this is what we must teach our children. The laws of God, the rule of God over one's life. Let's keep going. Remember yesterday we talked about the Abrahamic model. Okay? The Abrahamic model. I mean, I'm very concerned. As a preacher, I'm very concerned about the lack of aggression in young men. Why? Because they won't defend anything. How do you think they want to overtake our nation? By the lack of aggression of a man. How do you win wars? With men. Fighting men. Men will, de will defend our nation. If you get people that won't defend. See, how do you think Christianity is being taken over by the culture? Because we won't defend. We won't sit there and say, no, no, that's not biblical. That's not theological. That may be cultural, but it's not in God's word. 
No, no, we won't defend that. We just we'll just stay in our houses and, and our churches are broken and our concepts are, just as long as our mega churches are filled and, and everybody likes our songs that we sing. It has nothing to do with singing songs, it has everything to do with how we live and how we build. The word of God gives you gives you precious metals to build with. And the culture doesn't. You'll end up with broken walls and broken homes if you don't get involved with the education and the thinking of your children and your family. I care about what my family thinks. I care about how they think. I care about their epistemology, how they got their knowledge to come to conclusions. I care about all those things. Why? Because my life is perpetuated through them. Jeremiah, Jeremiah gives a beautiful example. But now let's go, let's look at Abraham. Okay? Let's look at Abraham. This is the Abrahamic model. Genesis chapter 18, 16-19. Then the man rose from there and looked towards Sodom. And, okay, we reread this yesterday, okay? But don't forget, it was a model of how Abraham was going to command his children. It was going to be how Abraham was going to take the promises, the commands of God, and he was going to make sure that his sons and his generations were going to fulfill the command, the, the will of God in their lives. Okay, Abraham was a communicator. Abraham was one that did a Deuteron that, that that was a model for Deuteronomy to teach your children. He was going to teach Isaac how to do this. He was going to teach uh, Jacob how to do this. Yes, Jacob and Esau had fifteen years with their old man Abraham. Yes, do your do your study. Grandpas have a lot of influence over the family. I mean, I watch over my grandchildren. Why? Because I want to make sure they're going straight. I want to make sure the family is in line. I want to make sure that they are they are following the ways of God. You can ask my sons. You can ask them how involved I am in, in how they live. What it means to be to grow up in this type of family that believes God's word. We've been through too much. We've seen so much. We've seen the blessings of God. We've seen the hand of God. We've seen the miracles of God. We're not backing up just because somebody says that's not nice. No, we're standing on God's word, God's promises. We're not going to be a generation that doesn't. I don't want my grandkids growing up and be that generation that does not know the power of God. Now, how did God get this perspective of Abraham that Abraham, that Abraham would command his children, that Abraham would make sure that that what God promised him was going to be fulfilled in his children. Well, go, you got to go back to Genesis chapter 14, 14 to 16. Listen to this. Now, Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive. He armed his 380 trained servants who were born in his own household. And when, the, and when in pursuit as far as Dan, he divided his forces against them by night. And he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and, all, and also back his brother, Lot and his goods, as well as the women and all the people. What am I saying here? Why is that important? Because Abraham was showing that he was going to take servants and turn them into soldiers. He was going to be a communicator of skill, communicator of abilities. He was going to be a communicator. He's just he wasn't going to allow people to just be servants. He wanted them to yes to serve, but he wanted to give them another skill, one that would defend, one that would would be trained in and be able to follow orders and take take a task and fulfill it. Abraham was showing 
Abraham was showing God in Genesis chapter 14 that if you give me a family, I'll bring children that will do what you've called them to do. If you give me children, I'll make arrows out of them and I'll shoot them in the air. Listen, this is important. This is very important for fathers to understand that we have a responsibility to take a knowledge base. You have Abraham being a general, giving a game plan on how to get the family back. Come on. But he first took care of his household. What was his household? Taking servants and making them soldiers. He turned them into an army. See, they may be children, but they're your army. They're your little bean patch. You got to protect them. You got to lead them. You got to guide them. You got to sustain them. You got to... You got to resource them and sustain them. And then you got to turn them loose. When I start looking at this scripture, I get fired up because I start thinking. I start thinking of, of how, how raising children has pushed us. Has pushed us to do things. Not to tolerate things. Abraham showed God that if you give me soldiers, servants, I'll turn them to soldiers. Well, if I give you children, you'll make men of God out of them. You'll make women of God out of them. See, what are you making from your family? Are they just children? You're just letting them run amok? You're just letting their emotions just fall on the floor? We got, we've got, we got to pick up the pace. We've got to pick up the pace. So now you have Abraham. Now let's look at Moses. Okay, I'm going to get into something um, in the next uh, 15 minutes. I hope you hang in there with me. Okay? So I'm going to talk about manhood. I'm talking about fathers that, that need to shape the manhood of their children. Watch this. Exodus chapter 10, 1 through 2. Now we're looking at Moses. Okay? This, this is, I'm going to put some pieces together for you. Okay? Now the Lord said to Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart, and his hearts and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearings of your sons and your sons' sons the mighty things I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Now again, everything God does in you is for them. That's a powerful truth. That's why we that's how we can stop making dumb decisions. It's because I know that whatever God does in me, it's for them. The miracles, the, the ability to, to sustain life, it's going to sustain them. My biblical, my biblical experiences blesses the family and enriches the life of my children. It's transparency. This is what God was telling, saying, hey, look, look, I'm going to do signs and wonders in your life. But it's not for you. It's for your sons. And your son's sons. It's generational. Most of you, most of you look at Moses, Moses is like saying, I'm not even thinking of my son's sons. I'm thinking of surviving these crazy um, Israel, Israelite slaves that I'm trying to lead. God's talking about your son's sons and your signs and wonders and all these great things. Let's look at Exodus 6.20. Now, Amron took for himself Jochebed, his father's sister, 
as a wife and she bore Aaron and Moses. Now why is that important? Why, why would you read Exodus chapter 6 verse 20 where Moses came from? Who's the mother and the father? Because that's how it works. Who is your mother? Who is your father? The name Amran means exalted people. So Moses came from an exalted people. Moses was a cut above. When you look at the history of Moses, they said that Moses, there was a, there was a countenance about him. There was a look about him. There was a glory on him. This is a special child. He was an exalted people. He came from an exalted people. That's the name Amron. His father, Amron, came from exalted people. And he took himself Jochebed. What does Jochebed mean? The mother. The mother's name Jochebed. What does her name mean? It means Jehovah is glory. So guess what? By her and, and her husband coming together, an exalted people and the glory of God, you produce a Moses. This is why it's important to marry correctly. This is why it's important to, to look down the line. It's important to know your spouse, their history, where they come from. Now Exodus chapter 18, 2 through 6. Now that you know that Moses, Moses was the plan of God. Moses came from an exalted, an exalted um, people. And he came with the glory of God. Exodus 18, 2 through 6. Now watch this. Okay. Then Jethro Moses, father-in-law, took Zephyrah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom. For he said, I have seen a stranger in a foreign land. And the name of and the, the name of the other was Eleazar. Okay. For he said, The God of my father was my help, and he delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he had encamped at the mountain of God. Now he had said to, his, to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons. In other words, this is your responsibility, man. You got two issues. Number one, Gershom, he feels like a stranger. There's an orphan spirit about him. He's wandering around. Number two, you got Eleazar. He knows that the God of my father will always help me and deliver me from the sword of Pharaoh. See, one was getting the lesson, the other one wasn't. Isn't that so typical of families? See, Moses had a father then. He had two different perspectives. See, fathering is difficult because everybody tries to do everything the same. No, you can't. Here you have one son that never felt as if he belonged anywhere. Gershom. He felt like a stranger everywhere. He never felt like he fit in, like he was accepted anywhere. He needs a different type of fathering. And here you have here you have um, Eleazar, and he says, God is my father, and he will always help me because of what I've seen him do with Pharaoh. <laughs> See, fathering is not easy. That's why we need the grace of God. We need the help of God, because not every child is the same. They come with different perspectives based on how they see life. See, because Moses had a difficult time. See, many of you didn't know the names of his sons. How come you don't have Eleazar and you don't have Gershom perpetuated throughout the Bible? 
Why don't you have them? Why don't Why don't you have uh, Moses' children perpetuate throughout the Bible like the like the twelve tribes of Israel, like like Isaac and Jacob, and Jacob's sons, and the twelve tribes? Why don't you have that? Since Moses was such a great deliverer, Moses Moses was a great deliverer, but he was a he was a terrible father because the greatness of your chil the greatness of a man is rationed in the lifestyle of his children. How great are your children? What are your children doing? That that that's your train. That's that's your perspective of how well you did and, and who you are. It's how your children. What are your children doing? You don't even many people don't even know the names of Moses' children. Ask people. What's the name of Moses' sons? They don't even know. Why? Because they didn't do anything. Moses had a difficult time with this. In fact, in fact, when you start looking at when you start looking at Exodus chapter 4, verse verse uh, 24. Right, you have you have a model of neglect. You have a model of something that Moses should have done, but it ended up that his wife Zipporah had to do it because Moses neglected. It almost cost Moses his life. If you look at the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 17, 19 through twenty-seven, God tells Moses that God tells Abraham, "I'm going to put this covenant of circumcision." in there and every and it gives the whole breakdown it's part of the Abrahamic covenant see the the the, the idea of, of circumcision is to cut off cut things off and be solely committed to to God that the flesh is completely cut off and never to go back the the idea of circumcision is the fact that the foreskin never goes back again in other words once you commit to it it's done once you've been circumcised, you cannot be uncircumcised. And so when you start looking at this powerful covenant, it was a sign, it was a covenant. It was required of Abraham. Abraham passes it on and it gets into Moses. Moses knew this. It was perpetuated. Watch this. And it came to pass, verse Genesis 17, 19 through 27, says this. And it came... I'm sorry, Exodus 4.24. I just gave you a synopsis of Genesis 19, 9 through 27. 17, 9 through 27 is the Abrahamic covenant. Watch this. And it came to pass in the way at the encampment that the Lord at his house. This See, the, the word encampment is, is his dwelling place. where He came back to his house. See, there's something about the house. You got to take care of your house. You got to make sure your family's in order. Watch this. The Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut the foreskins of her sons and cast at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. Then she said, You are a husband of blood because of circumcision. In other words, you made me circumcise these children. It was your job to circumcise them. I did it to save you. And look at this bloody mess I made. And she cut him with a dull stone. See, circumcision. Every father must circumcise their sons. <laughs> what do I mean by that? You need, you need to shape their manhood. Women do not belong shaping men's manhood. They're not men. And I know this is why the attack on the nuclear family is, is, an, is like drinking water from a fire hose. This assault against men, this assault to get uh, divorce, 
again, we saw the 1907 um, pact on how to change a nation. Was to make divorce easy, break up the nuclear family, break up the Judeo-Christian structures, break them up. Here you have a picture where this woman is doing the man's job of raising those, of circumcising those boys. And I know there's, there's, there's necessity now. There's a necessity for women to do both because of the absent father. We as fathers have to step in and start saying, I'm going to circumcise my boys. I'm going to shape their manhood. I'm going to show them what manhood is about. I'm not going to allow, I'm not going to allow a woman to say what a man is. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be a man and show my children, show my, show my sons what it is to be a man. I will not allow the culture. I will not allow media. I will not allow them to shape the manhood of my sons. Period. With all their confusion and corruption. I'm not going to do that. It's my job to shape my sons. Many of you that are listening to this today broke, were raised broken with no father or an abandoned father or a father that was absent, a silent father, a not aggressive father, or some of you were raised by an abusive father. That still does not give you an excuse not to discipline because discipline is good when it's done in the right hand. Now watch this. Romans chapter 2, 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew. Listen, 2029. 20, this is about circumcision, about circumcising your children. Romans chapter 2, 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is inwardly the circumcision of the heart. In other words, the heart. What does the Bible tell us about the heart? The heart is wicked deceitful of all things the heart what's inside don't people just shock you about some of the things that they do look at the culture doesn't it shock you with what what they come out with because of the heart the heart is evil it's deceitful so God says when you're born again there's a circumcision of the heart listen he says the circumcision of the heart in the spirit not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. The word circumcision is peritome. Peritome. Peri means to, 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 to go around. Okay? Tome has to do with the precision of a cut. It's just not to just chop and just cut. That's not what religion does. We've been around people that just, they just want to tell you what to do. No, no, they don't, they don't make precise cuts. Circumcision is a, is a precise cut. It's cutting exactly. It's not being sloppy with, with faith. It's not being sloppy with our religious rules. It's being precise. It's what the Holy Spirit does. When you come in relationship with Him and His Word, He circumcises your heart. He cuts you how you need to be cut, where you need to be cut, so it'll never grow back again. It's covenant. That's what he's talking about. In fact, Acts chapter 16, I believe it is, where Paul meets Timothy for the first time. He hears of Timothy, I believe, in Acts chapter 13. Then he comes back later on to, on his trip to Philippi, and he, and he picks up Timothy. And he realizes that Timothy, Timothy comes from a Gentile father, 
a Greek father and he comes from a Jewish mother. He's not circumcised. So what does Paul do? The minute he picks him up and says, I want to train him. I want to take Timothy with me. He circumcises him. What does that mean? He made precise cuts on him. Distinct cuts on him. See, any man of God, any man of God worth his grain of salt, if he's discipling people, he has to cut. Every generation needs to be cut. Needs to be circumcised. Timothy had a reputation of being being one of the brightest students there. That's why Paul went after him, because of his great reputation. Then Paul says, you're good, I, I get you. But guess what? You're not circumcised. Now let me put my hands on you. Let me show you what ministry is about. That's why Paul writes in, in Timothy and says, he's my true son in the Lord. He's my true genetic son. Why? Because he shaped his manhood. That's why he was able to call upon him and says, don't be a coward. Don't be a coward. God has not given you the spirit of fear, but power, love, and sound mind. That's why he gave him charges. He could charge a son. See, you can't charge an orphan. They always feel inferior. But you can charge a son. You can command a son. Because you're shaping him. You're cutting him. You know what his tolerance is. You know what his gift set is. Now let's come back to, and I'll close right here. I'll close right here. I know I'm gone 53 minutes, but let me close here. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Remember I told you I was going to circle back. So I'm circling back before I go. The Greek word train, train up a child, is the, is the Hebrew word shanak. Okay, shanak, shanak is, is, uh, is a pictorial form of a word. In other words, you see it in picture form. It was, it was the idea that a mother, when the baby was born and the baby comes out of the mother, the first thing the mother does is they give the mother a date. Okay, the, the, the fruit or the vegetable, the date, the sweet the sweet taste and the bitter taste of a date. And she makes a, she chews it up in her mouth. It comes from her mouth and it goes directly on her finger. She makes kind of like a, a paste. And as the baby is being cleaned up and, and being wrapped and swaddled up, and the, what the mother does, she's making this paste. And what she does, she takes a dab on her finger. And as the baby is crying because the baby wants water, uh, milk, or the baby is hungry, or, or the baby is crying to show that they're alive, guess what happens? The mother puts the finger in the mouth. And the first thing the baby tastes is the date. And it's coming straight from the mouth of the mother to the mother's finger, which is the teaching instrument. And so every time the baby opens the mouth, the baby is getting blessings because the date tastes sweet at first. And then after the, after the sweetness wanes away, all of a sudden the bland, the bitterness comes in of the date. And the baby gets kind of like this, this, what happened to all the flavor? I thought this was going to be fun and blessing. See, but it comes from the finger of the mother, which is complete trust. The baby learns to trust that every time the mother's finger comes into the mouth of the child, something good is coming. See, train up a child in the way he should go. In other words, get him to taste Get him to get his appetites correct in the way he should go by putting your finger in your child's mouth with blessings 
with discipline because it's not all sweet. And that's what we've done to this generation. We've made it all sweet. So if you discipline them, you think you don't they don't love you don't love them. If you disagree with them, they think you don't love them. It's time we fathers and we mothers put our fingers back in our children's mouth and train them, train their appetites. Train their appetites in the way they they should go. So when they get old, they will not depart. This has to do with training their abilities. This has to be training what they're hungry for in life. So again, let's train up our children. Let's teach our children. Let's circumcise, let's teach them what manhood is about. Let's teach them how to roar like lions. Not cower away. Stay in the household. Get out there and teach your children God's word, God's ways, God's plan for their lives. Well, God bless you. I hope you enjoyed this. And I pray that uh, you have a blessed day and that this Father's Day will be a day where you awaken to your responsibilities to train them in the ways of God. God bless you. Bye-bye.